In this week's teaching, our special guest speaker, Randall Sean Garcia, shares the message entitled, Idle Threats. Grab your Bible, take some notes, let's tune in. So the rumors are true. If you, you already know what I'm going to say. If you, if you follow me on Facebook or if you're close with my family, you know that Selena and I are expecting December 2019, our third child. Don't know quite yet if it's a boy or a girl, but praise God, either way, um, it may, hope, it, I don't know if we want to, so we don't know that yet, but <laughs> um, today's message is idle threats. And when I think of idol, the word idol, I think of two things. Uh, The first thing I think of, and I think it's because growing up, I remember the story of Moses when he was coming down uh, from the mountain with the Ten Commandments, and the Israelites had built a golden calf, and they built this idol to worship, the false god, a false idol, right? So growing up, every time someone would say idol, I would think of a golden calf, or I would think of like in the Old Testament, um, when uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow down to that false idol. So I would think of something like that, a physical idol that you could feel, see, touch. And then the second thing I think of is, like, you know, Carrie Underwood, um, uh, you know, uh, Kelly Clarkson, Mandisa, American Idol, right? Uh, I'm not really a big fan of that show because I can't sing. And I don't know, I can't, I'm tone deaf and everything like that. I'm not musically inclined like the rest of my family. But those are the two things I think of. But here's the thing. In today's message, when we're going through idle threats, I want you to know that an idol many times is invisible. It's something that you can't see, that you can't touch, that you can't feel, that you sometimes don't even know is there. So it's not that golden calf. It's actually something that lives inside of you. It lives in your mind. It's something that places itself right between you and God. And we're going to get into four idols today. Uh, Idol number one is going to be the idol of man. And if you opened your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, we're going to be reading scripture from, from there. And it says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, everyone say, give to the needy. Do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, you've received your reward in full. And when you pray, someone say, when you pray. I want you to say what's underlined. I forgot to mention that. (laughs) Don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to be standing in the synagogues and the street corners to be seen by others. They've received their reward. But when you pray, when you pray, pray in secret, right, to the Lord. And further on, it says, when you fast, everyone say, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show that they're fasting. Well, I underlined a few things. When you give to the needy, when you pray, and when you fast, you notice those are three spiritual things that God loves when we do. Like, of course, 
that builds our relationship with Christ when we pray, when we fast, when we give. But if you look closer, I discovered something new that I hadn't really seen. I've read this verse many times before. But when you look deeper into it, what Jesus is saying is those three spiritual things can be done wrong. Jesus is saying that we can twist even the purest of all spiritual activities. Right? Praying, fasting, giving to the needy. And he actually says that you can actually do this in a way that almost worships man because you're being seen in the synagogues. You're, you're fasting, and you want everyone to know that you're fasting. And when, you're, when you give to the needy, announcing it with trumpets, this is the idol of man. This is the idol of man. It's not something that you're doing with your heart, but it's, you're doing it to please others. So how do we kill this desire for human approval? We must seek Jesus in secret. He tells us, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, turn off the lights, do whatever you need to do. Don't let anyone know you're doing it, but what you do is between you and God, and the Lord will reward you for that. And I even see, you know, as a Christian, of course, I've, I've been born and raised in church. Um, I'm very blessed by that. But, you know, and I listen to a lot of Christian podcasts and, uh, or, or audio books, and there was this one podcast pastor that I was listening to, and uh, he says, I don't need the approval of man. I don't need the approval of man. I'm humble. Amen? 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 Right? Human approval. And we all get tripped up into that need for human approval. Or, you know, uh, I think years ago, we were, we were doing, like, the Daniel fast, and people were posting on Facebook, like, with selfies with their Daniel fast food, saying, hashtag Daniel fast, right, to be seen by others. And then I think that sometimes, even maybe I have gotten caught up on this, is sometimes I see these beautiful prayers on Facebook, big, long posts, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I just wonder, I'm hoping that they're quiet time, their spiritual walk behind closed doors is just as good in secret as it is on Facebook. And I'm a millennial, so I'm going to throw some social media examples. (laughs) The approval of man is an idol. You may not even realize it, but it is. You can't see it, you can't feel it, you can't touch it, but many of us struggle. And so the life lesson is, what is done in secret is greater than what is done in public. What is done in secret is greater than what is done in public. Idol number two, the idol of more. I could talk about this one all day. More, 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 more money, more recognition, more promotions, more love, more relationships, more friends, more things. And in Matthew 16, if you have your Bibles, you can flip to Matthew 16, just a few chapters ahead. It says, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So what Jesus said is, you can gain the whole world. You can have more and more and more and gain the whole world, but if you lose your soul, what is it worth? So what he's saying is, More is not even important. 
What's important is what you already have, your soul. And from advertising on TV, I can say that I've fallen into this trap many times because if I were to succumb to the advertising of more things and more things and more desires, I think that I would be a much happier person if I were to eat Special K for breakfast, right? Wear a Rolex watch, get my car insurance from Geico, right? Because that's, that's, that's what advertising is telling me. You want more and more and more. But the question is, on a scale of 1 to 10, how satisfied are you with your life, with your job, with your marriage, with your income, with your singleness? How satisfied are you with your overall circumstances in life? Ask yourself, well, maybe how satisfied should I be if I'm not satisfied currently? How satisfied could I be if God were to work in my heart? Many of us have been in a place where we want more stuff and more stuff and more stuff and more stuff because we're not drinking the living water that Jesus provides, but rather we're drinking the ocean water that just continues to make us more thirsty to want more. The living water satisfies. Ocean water, I think we all get trapped to be more thirsty. We're never satisfied. You know, one of the wisest men in the Bible is actually King Solomon. And he struggled trying to find satisfaction. The funny thing is that the Bible says he was one of the wisest men to ever live, but yet, if you go through his entire life, he was searching for it in so many shapes and forms, in physical health, in education. In fact, the Bible says that Solomon said to himself, I've increased in wisdom more than anyone who's ruled over Jerusalem before me. But it was like chasing after the wind. It didn't mean anything. Then he went for pleasure, and he actually, he, he, he didn't do anything but drink and party and do everything that he wanted to do because he thought pleasure would bring him contentment. So then he said, okay, maybe work and accomplishments will satisfy me. And the Bible says he undertook great projects. He built houses and planted vineyards. And then he says, and that was like chasing after the wind too. <laughs> oh, what about wealth? Well, it says that he amassed gold and silver and, and the treasure of kings and provinces. And guess what? It was like chasing after the... What about sex? What about relationships? Actually, the Bible says he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's 100 women that he was married to. I, I don't know about you, but I have trouble keeping up with one woman. <laughs> I love you, babe. But what's even more than that is if he had a thousand women, that means he had a thousand mother-in-laws. <laughs> Preach. <laughs> but actually, the scriptures say that women led him astray. His women led him astray. What about fame? He had it. The Bible says he had everything that he could desire. Unlimited acquisition. 
unlimited pleasure, total self-indulgence. And if that doesn't fill the void, then what will? That's the question, right? Well, of course, his answer was found in relationship with God. And because he went through all that and because he had searched, he finally found his answer. And now the Bible says he's one of the wisest men to ever live. Unfortunately, our society thinks like that. You know, I can imagine a little child going up to their mother or father saying, uh, Mom, Dad, why do I have to study so hard? Oh, so you can get into a better school. Why do, you have, wh- why do I need to get into a better school? So you can get a higher-paying job, of course. Well, so what happens when I get a higher-paying job? Well, so you, you can afford all the good things in life. And then what happens when I acquire all those things? Will that finally make me happy? But yet this is kind of the culture that we live in, isn't it? The good news is another person found contentment, and it was Paul. And Paul actually said that he found the key to happiness, and it definitely was not more. One very popular set of verses in the Bible is Philippians 4, 11 through 13. And it says, repeat after me, I've learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. Repeat after me. I've learned the secret of being content. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Can you believe that Paul actually wrote this in prison? Like, he's in prison talking about being content. He's in chains in prison telling us who are not in chains, not in prison like he was, and he's teaching us how to be content. And you also realize that he says, I have learned how to be content. I have learned the secret. How many of you ever learned to play the guitar or to play some sort of instrument or you learned how to play a sport? I'm still learning how to play golf because I'm horrible, but I'm still learning, and it's a process for me. What does that mean? It means that Paul, it it, it wasn't simply just the situation, right? He had to learn. He had to hash out the things that were inside of him to learn something, and now he's writing about it saying, I have learned the secret. Here it is. Because what Paul's really saying is that his satisfaction doesn't come from his situation. But that's exactly what the problem is. People think that if they can change their situation, that they can change their satisfaction. But that's not true. We think we need more, more money, more recognition, more love. If I could just be in that relationship, if you're single in here, If I could just find that person, then I'll be satisfied. Then I'll be content. In fact, my speaking of mother-in-laws earlier, (laughs) I hope she doesn't listen to this recording. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, You know, Selena and I were waiting for our house remodel to complete, so we're we were living with my in-laws right now, 
And uh, my, my mother-in-law, she's an amazing woman. I actually, I love her to death, right? And she loves to cook. And so she'll actually tell me, um, you know, I'll finish my serving, and then she'll say, do you want more? Right? And then I'm like, no, I'm good. Um, and, sh- and then a few minutes later, she's like, are you sure you don't want more? There's more. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm good. And then, of course, never fails. I think like three or four times later, do you want more? Do you want more? Do you want more? I think she just doesn't want leftovers. But, And I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. What if when you were tempted by the, the enemy, what if you told him, I'm good? I'm good. Well, first of all, I'm not comparing my mother-in-law to the devil. But what if when you're tempted... By the enemy, you say, I'm good. I don't need any more. I'm content. You see how that response can really help you out on a deep level. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm good. (laughs) Look at your other neighbor and say, I'm good. And for you single people, right, what if you walked into, what if you had a, in your next date, your next first date, what if you walked in, sat down, and told that person, I was good before I got here, so whether this works out or not, I'm good the way I was, and I'm going to be good whatever happens here. You don't lead to my contentment. How would that flip the script? Amen. Amen. But a lot of people think that that next thing, that next relationship, that th- more things, more money is going to lead them there. But what if you just said, I'm good? The funny thing is how God is using Paul, who's in chains in prison, to teach his people about freedom. You can't experience true freedom unless you experience true contentment. Isn't it interesting that Paul's in chains and he's talking about freedom? But yet for us as Christians, it seems like Paul is more free in chains than we are in our everyday lives doing what we want, when we want. But Paul has a lesson here. Because he could have, if I was sitting in prison, I might be a little upset. And the Bible actually says that there was a lot of he, he was actually fighting for justice. He felt like he was imprisoned uh, due to some injustices that happened. And so if I was Paul, I'm thinking, I might sit there with some resentment, right? But what Paul actually ended up doing is he flipped his resentment into contentment. And as he was sitting there in the prison writing this letter, he's teaching us about freedom, And I think it's easier to complain about what we don't have, right? So, like, we're thinking to ourselves, you know what? I will be content when I'm in the new relationship. I will be content when I get a promotion or more money. But here's the, here's the crazy thing. What happens when we finally get into that relationship and we realize that contentment didn't come with the package, 
What happens when we get that promotion or that new job or stuff and we realize that contentment didn't come along with it? But that's kind of how life is. Life lesson, more is the enemy of contentment. Idol number three, surface. The idol of surface. And I was almost going to call this one the facade. So if you open up to Matthew 15, verse 10, I'm going to read from there. And in this verse, Jesus found himself not in an encounter with the Red Sea, but with the Pharisees in Matthew 15, 10. It says, Jesus called the crowd to him and he said, listen and understand, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that's what defiles them. And then Peter says, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? And then later on, a couple verses later, Jesus asked them, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes through the stomach and out of the body, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, comes from the inside, and these defile them. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. This year, how about we stop fixing things on the surface level, right? How many times do we try to fix things on the surface level? The Pharisees have caught Jesus and his disciples not washing their hands. And Jesus says, it doesn't matter. That's surface level thinking. What I care about is fixing problems that start from the heart, not problems that are on the surface. They think that God wants, wants them to wash their hands, but what, what, what God really wants is to change their hearts. He doesn't want them to wash their hands. He wants to change their hearts. So there was a tornado the other day, right? Was there a tornado watch? Did the tornado ever touch the ground? I think it did in my playroom at home when we left Riley and Cole in there for 10 minutes, and, like, when they go and they tear up the playroom, they tear it up, and it doesn't even make sense where everything's at. Like, Spider-Man is in the Barbie house having coffee with a rhino, and Barbie somehow must have gotten upset, left the Barbie mansion, and she's hanging out with the Lego men, and Ken is nowhere to be found, like, we're worried about Ken. Like, okay, Ken, I know Barbie left. Where's Ken? And so it doesn't even make sense. Everything's everywhere. And so now I, I was telling Selena, I said this in the first service, is I feel like I could, I could have a few couple responses. I could get upset and say, like, you know, clean the room. This is a mess. Or, which I encourage you parents to do, is turn it into a reality TV show, Right? So now I'm like thinking, Selena's like, clean up the room. And I'm like, no, 
wait, I need to figure out if Spider-Man's still in his identity crisis living in the Barbie mansion, and I need to figure out if Barbie realizes that her and Lego Man are an odd couple, and we need to find out whatever happened to Ken. Because if you're not doing that, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> What's, how is that biblical, right? Um, no, I'm just kidding. I have a point. So now we're telling the kids, okay, clean up, right? Reality TV show season two, episode three is over. And now they're cleaning up, but usually there's two responses. And I'll tell you the first one, I wish it happened more often. But the first one, I tell, you know, we explain to Colin Riley because we're, we're, we think we're good parents, right? And we're saying, Colin Riley, you, we need to, you need to learn responsibility. We need to clean up put everything back where it belongs. We don't leave this mess out for someone else to clean up. And to be honest, sometimes they do it. And they say, okay, they get it. And they do it out of delight. And Selena will sing the the cleanup song. (laughs) But the second time happens more often, if I could be honest. They're kicking and screaming, right? It takes like five times the amount of time to clean up the playroom because we have to wipe them off of, of, uh, off of the floor <laughs> because they're screaming, they're kicking, they don't want to do it, but we keep, we keep pushing them, we keep pushing, and they, and they end up getting it done, right? Because we won't let them leave until it gets done. Well, in both scenarios, the room gets clean, right? But in only one scenario am I, as a parent, pleased, Am I as a parent proud? And only one of those scenarios as a parent is something that I can say, great job, well done. It was done right. And that's when they get the heart of the matter, right? When they understand the responsibility and they respond out of their heart. Amen? So you may have never considered this an idol, but maybe sometimes you're missing the heart of God, right? And Jesus challenges the Pharisees' belief systems. And they didn't even realize they were worshiping an idol. They were so concerned with their hands, with the dirt on the outside. And I'm thinking, and you may be thinking this as well, you know, I know how to wash my hands. I know how to make people think I'm doing okay. I know how to walk into church and put a smile on my face and say, hi, God bless you, and act like everything's fine. I know how to post a picture on Instagram or Facebook and hashtag, I woke up like this. Everything's fine. But I need help with my heart this year. I don't know about you. I need help with my heart. Because wouldn't it be a shame if righteousness was based off of your accomplishments, of what you did, of what you achieved. If it was, if righteousness was based off of washing your hands, an outward surface level thing, or going on a diet, or losing 23 pounds. But there's many people who lose 23 pounds, and they're still not happy because they fixed it on the surface, but they didn't fix it on the inside. You know what I'm talking about? It would be a shame if you 
think you fixed it on the surface, but you didn't fix it at the source, which is life lesson number three. Don't fix it on the surface. Fix it at the source. And my last point, which I'll go through quickly, is tradition. Tradition, the idol number four. uh, The text is from Matthew 15, 1 through 3. It says, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. And Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your own tradition? Do you see what Jesus did there? They said, Why did your disciples break the law, the oral tradition? And Jesus says, Why are you putting your oral traditions above the truth? What's more important? Because Jesus is asking them, what's more important? What's more important, your traditions or the truth? Because it's easy to live inside this invisible belief system, right? And we all know this. If you've been coming to church, if you've been a Christian for a long time, we have built these invisible belief systems that have fixed everything on the surface because we know when to show up, we know what to say, we know how to say it, so that everyone thinks that everything's fine, but what God's really looking for is what's in the heart. The phrases are significant because the Pharisees are talking about the traditions of the elders, and Jesus is talking about the command of God. One is tradition, and one is truth. And a lot of times we don't know the difference. I don't know about you, but I'm going to let my truth, I'm not going to let it flow from my tradition. I want my tradition to flow from my truth. It starts with the truth. And Jesus points out this, this, it's called dysfunctional behavior, if you don't understand it. The Pharisees had dysfunctional behavior because they're doing it all wrong. Because they might think that they know the truth, but he is the truth. The way, the truth, and the life. They study the word of God, but he is the word of God. They live in creation. He is the creator. Because where he's coming from is not where they're coming from. He's coming from the heavenly realm, and they're thinking on the earthly realm. So what he knows is different than what they think. And his ways are higher than their ways. And his truth is higher than their tradition. His thoughts are higher than their thoughts. So ask yourself the question, what do I believe and where is it coming from? Am I believing in tradition or am I going to believe in truth? Start with what God says today. And truth number four, or life lesson number four, is replace your tradition with truth. One of the traditions that I think many of us struggle with, and I include myself because I dealt with this too, is the tradition of saying, it's not in my personality to raise my hands. That's just how I am. That's my tradition. 
I, I don't pray out loud. I don't shout to God with a voice of triumph. I don't get out of my seat. I don't get out of my box. I stay in my seat. I keep my hands to my side. I pray silently or in my head. And I'm going to challenge you today. Is that a tradition that you have made yourself believe that maybe needs to go? Ask yourself. I'm going to challenge your traditions because in the first service, it was so beautiful. And I want an outcry from this second service. All I heard is nothing but voices all across the room. With a crowd half this size, people were screaming. They were, they were rejoicing. They were praying. People who I've never seen get out of their comfort zones were getting out of their comfort zones. They were dropping their traditions for truth. Because the truth of God says that if you've been set free, you're free indeed. Because if the truth of God says, shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph, then I'm going to shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph. If the truth of God says to get down on my knees and seek him wholeheartedly, then that's what I'm going to do. But I'm going to challenge your belief systems today. I'm going to challenge your tradition. For years, I was stuck in my own tradition. Nobody put it on me but myself because I thought that that's just my personality. It's just my personality to be silent, to be quiet, to be to myself. I'm not an outgoing person. Well, I'm not, I'm not a speaker. I can't speak. I can't raise my hands. It's my traditions. These are lies from the enemy because God has truth and God wants you to drop those traditions. But what are yours, right? It could also be pleasing others. It could be the idol of more, more money, more recognition, more fame. It could be getting rid of your mask, your facade. God wants to go deeper with you. What's that next step? I'm not asking you to take 10 steps forward right now. What's the one thing that God wants you to do today that you haven't done before? Take one step. I challenge you, take one step away from your tradition and into truth. One step. If I can have my prayer partners come to the front, we're going to spend this next few moments in prayer. If you want to break some traditions, I encourage you to come come to the altars. You know, if, you do, if you've never come to the altar before, <laughs> is that a tradition? Let's break it. Let's fill this altar all across the room. Get out of your seat. Get out of your seat. Say it again. Get out of your seat. Get out of your seat. I told you I was going to challenge you. Get out of your seat. Get out of your seat. Get out of your seat. Come on. Come on. Get out of your seat. Get out of your seat. God's nudging you. He is. It's something that you've never done before. It really is. It really is. 
something you've never done before for many people, look at this. Mm. Break that tradition. Dear Lord, thank you for everyone who's here today. They're here to break that tradition and replace it with your truth, Jesus. Lord, all across the room, I pray for every single person that they would find their idol that's been in the way of their relationship with you. And I pray that they point that out and they say, get out. You don't belong here. You don't belong in my life. I couldn't even see you. I didn't even know you were there. But I'm done with you. I have identified exactly what you are. And you're not welcome in my life. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Spend your time in prayer. Thank you, Lord. Well, that was our special guest, Randall Sean Garcia. I hope you enjoyed this teaching. FYI, Randall and his wife, Selena, host a podcast called Lead at Home, Win at Life. And you could subscribe to it by going to the Apple uh, iTunes podcast or your favorite podcast app and subscribing. You could also check out their website, leadathome.org. So we hope you enjoyed this teaching. And if you want, jump on over to the Lead at Home podcast and get some awesome, great content uh, from Randall and Selena Garcia. We hope you enjoy the rest of your week. God bless.